0: Chapter 13 of Marjorie Dean High School Freshman by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter 13 A Pitched Battle. After the echoes of the dance had died away, basketball received a new impetus that brought it to the fore with a bound. With the renewed interest in the coming game was also noised about the report that Miss Dean wasn't on the team any longer, and in some unknown fashion the news that she had been asked to resign had also gone the round of the study hall. The upper-class girls were not particularly interested either in Marjorie or her affairs. She had not lived in Sanford long enough to become well known to them, and as a rule the juniors and seniors left the bringing up of the freshmen to their sophomore sisters. The sophomores were too much absorbed in the progress of their own team to trouble themselves greatly over what was happening in the freshman organisation. If Muriel or Mignon had resigned, then there would have been good cause for predicting an easy victory, for both girls were considered formidable opponents. But Marjorie was new material, untried and unproven. It was in the freshman class, however, that comment ran rife. Since the night of the Western dance the class had been almost equally divided, A little less than half the girls had either openly or by friendly smiles and nods declared in favour of Marjorie and her friends. The remaining members of the class, with a few neutral exceptions, were apparently devoted to the French girl and Muriel. Among their adherents they also counted Miss Merton, who took no pains to conceal her open dislike for Marjorie, and Marcia Arnold, who even went so far as to try to explain the situation to Miss Archer, and was sternly reminded that the principal would take no part in the private differences of her girls unless they had something to do with breaking the rules of the school. The days immediately preceding the game were not cheerful ones for Marjorie, She was still unhappy over her unjust dismissal from the team, and she wondered if it had been much talked of among her classmates. At home she had announced off-handedly her resignation from the team, and her mother had asked no questions. Mignon was greatly disturbed and displeased with the advent of Marjorie Dean into Sanford High School. Young as she was, she was very shrewd, and she at once foresaw in Marjorie's pretty face and attractive personality a rival power. To be sure, Marjorie's father was not so rich as her own, but it could not be denied that the Deans lived in a big house on Maple Avenue, that Marjorie wore perfectly lovely clothes and had plenty of pocket-money in the beginning she had decided that it would be better to make friends with her but marjorie's sturdy defence of constance and utter disregard for mignon's significant warning had shown her plainly that she could not influence the other girl to do what she considered an unworthy act Therefore she had secretly determined to make matters as disagreeable as lay within her power for the two girls during her freshman year. Still she was obliged to admit to herself that her next move would have to be planned and carried out with more discretion. And now it was the Friday before the much-heralded basketball game, which was to be played between the sophomores and the freshmen, and the merits and shortcomings of the respective organisations were being eagerly discussed throughout the school. The game was to be called at half-past two o'clock on Saturday afternoon, and from all accounts there was to be no lack of spectators. "'I wouldn't for anything miss that game tomorrow,' exclaimed Jerry Macy, as she and Constance and Marjorie came down the steps of the school together i hope the freshmen get the worst whitewashing that any team in this school has ever had too she added with a deliberate air of spite you mustn't say that Jerry," returned marjorie a faint colour rising to her cheeks you must not let my grievances affect your loyalty to your class do you mean to say that you want that horrid mignon La Salle and her crowd to win the game, and then go around crowing that it was all because they put you out of the team? You needn't look so as though you didn't believe me. You mark my word, if they win, you'll find out that they'll do just as I say. Freshman or no freshman, I'd rather see that nice Ellen Seymour's team win any day. So would I echoed constance her face darkening with the remembrance of her own wrongs at mignon's hands marjorie was silent for a moment she knew that Jerry's outburst rose from pure devotion to her friends and she could not blame constance for her hostile spirit still was it right to allow personal grudges to warp one's loyalties to one's class if the record of their class read badly at the end of their freshman year whose fault would it be she had fought it all out with herself on the day she wrote her resignation and had wisely determined then not to allow it to spoil her year i know how you girls feel about this she said slowly i felt the same way until after i had written my resignation while i was writing I kept hoping that the team would lose and be sorry they had put someone else in my place. Then it just came to me all of a sudden that a good soldier wouldn't be a traitor to his country, even if he were reduced in rank or had something happen unpleasant to him in his camp. She stopped and looked embarrassed. She had forgotten that the girls could not possibly know what she meant. She had never told anyone in Sanford High School about the pretty soldier play which she and Mary had carried on for so long. It was one of the little intimate details of her life which she preferred to keep to herself. Should she explain? Jerry's impatient retort made it unnecessary. The only traitor I know anything about is Mignon she flung back, failing to grasp the significance of Marjorie's comparison. Constance, however, had flashed a curious glance at her friend, saying nothing. When Geraldine had nodded good-bye at her street, and the two were alone, she asked, What did you mean by comparing yourself to a soldier, Marjorie? Marjorie smiled. I think I'd better tell you all about it. I've never told anyone else. What a splendid game, mused Constance, half to herself, when Marjorie had finished. Do you, would you, could I be a soldier too, Marjorie? It would help me. You don't know. There are so many things. The wistful appeal touched Marjorie. Of course you can, she assured. "'You'd better come to my house to luncheon tomorrow. "'You can join the army, then, and go to the game with me.' "'I'm not going to the game.' The look of expectancy died out of Constance's face. "'You can't be a soldier if you balk at the first disagreeable thing that comes along,' reminded Marjorie, slipping her arm through that of her friend. Constance walked a few steps in stolid silence. She could not make up her mind to watch the playing of the girls, whom she felt she hated, even to please Marjorie. It was not until they were about to separate that Marjorie said quietly, Shall I tell Mother you are coming? And Constance forced herself to reply shortly, I'll come. By half-past one Saturday afternoon, every seat in the large gallery surrounding the gymnasium was filled, and by a quarter to two, every square foot of standing room was occupied by an enthusiastic audience, largely composed of boys and girls of the two high schools. Marjorie's mother had, after some little coaxing, consented to come to the game with her daughter as her guest. She sat with Constance and Marjorie in the first row of the gallery, while beside her sat none other than Miss Archer, whom they had encountered on their way to the high school, and who had invited them to take seats in the front row with her. She had already met Mrs. Dean at the church which both women attended, and had conceived an instant liking for the pretty, gracious woman, who looked little older than her daughter. "'Wasn't it nice of Miss Archer to ask us to sit here?' whispered Marjorie in her friend's ear. "'We have mother to thank for it. She is so dear that no one can help liking her.' Marjorie looked adoring admiration at her mother's clear-cut profile. "'Do you suppose anyone will mistake us for faculty?' Both girls giggled softly at such an improbability. I never went to a basketball game before, confessed Constance after a time. What are those girls over there in the red paper hats and the big red bows going to do? Oh, that's the sophomore class. They lead their class in the songs. The green and purple girls are the freshman chorus. I didn't even know our class colours were green and purple. You didn't? Why, that's the reason you and I wore violets to the dance. Almost every freshman had them. Oh, look! Constance's eyes were fixed upon a tiny purple figure that had just emerged from a side door in the gymnasium and was walking slowly across the big floor. Immediately afterward a door opened on the opposite side and a diminutive scarlet-clad boy flashed forth they are the mascots explained marjorie her gaze on the two children who advanced to the centre of the room and gravely shook hands then the boy in red announced in a high clear treble ladies and gentlemen the noble sophomores The door swung wide and a band of lithe blue figures bearing a huge letter S done in scarlet on the front of their blouses pattered into the gymnasium amid loud applause. "'The valiant freshman,' piped the purple-clad youngster. There was a rush of black-clad girls with resplendent violet F's ornamenting their breasts.' another volley of cheers from the audience then a shrill blast from the referee's whistle rent the air the teams dropped into their places the umpire timekeeper and scorer took their stations and a tense silence settled over the audience the referee balanced the ball ellen seymour and mignon la gathered themselves for the toss up it went The two players leaped for it. The referee's whistle sounded again. The struggle for basketball honours began. A jubilant shout swelled from the throats of the watching freshmen and their fans. Mignon had caught the ball. She sent it speeding toward Helen Thornton, who fumbled it, and losing her head, threw it away from, instead of to, the basket. An audible sigh of disapproval came from the freshman contingent as they beheld the ball pass into the hands of the sophomores, who scored shortly afterward. Now that the ball was in their hands, the sophomores proceeded to show their friends and opponents a few things about playing. They had the advantage, and they kept it. Try as the freshmen might, they could not score. The first unlucky error on the part of Helen Thornton had seemed to turn the tide against them. Toward the close of the first half they managed to score, but all too soon the whistle blew, with the score eight to two in favour of the sophomores. Their fans went wild with delight, and their chorus sang, or rather shouted gleefully, their pet song, beginning, Hail the sophomores, gallant band! see how bold they take their stand to the tune of hail columbia coming out noisily on the concluding lines firm and steadfast shall they be marching on to victory as a band of players they shall be conquerors to-day the freshmen answered with their song the freshmen's brave banner but they did not sing as spiritedly as they had before the beginning of the game I wonder what Jerry and Irma think, commented Marjorie. Their two chums had been detailed to sing in the freshman chorus, which accounted for their absence from the Dean party. Jerry looks awfully cross, returned Constance, scanning the opposite side of the gallery where Jerry was singing lustily, her straight heavy brows drawn together in a savage scowl. "'There goes the whistle.' Marjorie leaned eagerly forward to see the freshman team come in from the side-room which they were using. Her alert eyes noted that Muriel looked sulky, Mignon stormy, Susan Atwell belligerent, Harriet Delaney offended, and that Helen Thornton, the substitute who had replaced her, had been crying.' Marjorie felt a thrill of pity for the unfortunate substitute. It looked as though she had spent an unhappy quarter of an hour in the little side room. The teams changed sides and hastened to their places. Again Mignon and Ellen faced each other. Then the whistle shrilled and the second half of the game was on from the beginning of the second half it looked as though the freshmen might retrieve their early losses they worked with might and main and made no false moves slowly their score climbed to six so far the sophomores had gained nothing then ellen seymour made a spectacular throw to the basket and brought her team up two points With the realisation that they were facing defeat, the freshmen rallied and made a desperate effort to hold their own, bringing their count up to eight. Two more points were gained and the score was tied, but the time was rowing short. Helen Thornton had the ball and was plainly trying to elude the tantalising sophomore who barred her way. She made a clumsy feint of throwing the ball. It slipped from her fingers and rolled along the floor. There was a mad scramble for it. Mignon and Ellen Seymour leaped forward simultaneously. The crowd in the gallery was aroused to the height of excitement. Marjorie, breathless, leaned far over the gallery rail. She knew every detail of the dear old game. She saw Mignon's and Ellen's heads close together as they sprang. Then she saw Mignon give a sly, vicious side lunge, which threw Ellen almost off her feet. In the instant it took Ellen to recover herself, the French girl had seized the ball and was off with it. Eluding her pursuers, she balanced herself on her toes and threw her prize toward the freshman basket. But it never reached there. A long blue figure shot straight up into the air. Elizabeth Corey, a girl whose sensational plays had made her a lion during her freshman year, had intercepted the flying ball. She sent it spinning through the air toward the sophomore nearest their basket, whose willing hands received it and threw it home. Mignon's trickery had availed her little. The sophomores had won. End of chapter 13 Recording by Ashley Jane